welcome to the Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. I'm JT, and each week, I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. Well, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you may be in the world when you hear this. I hope that you're doing well. I hope that you've had a great week so far, my friends. I know those of you in the Northern Hemisphere are probably sweltering a bit, but I also know that uh, it was a long, cold winter for many of you. So enjoy it while you can, I guess, is what I'm saying. All things are fleeting, and that's one of the main teachings in things like mindfulness, is enjoy the moment. Enjoy it while it's here. Well, it's been a busy time in the areas that we enjoy discussing on this program. The UFO topic is front and center on the burner right now, with all the stuff happening with the Pentagon report that's supposed to be coming up by the end of June. It is quite interesting how much the mainstream media has jumped on board now. And uh, yeah, it's always made me laugh. Uh, doing some research for another project, but still to do with the show, just not this episode. I came across a video from the 80s or maybe early 90s. And it was from 60 Minutes Australia. And it was that extreme debunking you could just palpably tell that they were rolling their eyes and making fun of anyone who thought anything to do with UFOs had any basis in reality. And this was actually about uh, John Mack, these, I want to say psychiatrist. I always mix up psychologist and psychiatrist. But um, yeah, it was quite disgusting to me about how slanted it was. And yeah... It was at the end, they talked to his boss, and they were making fun of his boss and going, oh, do you believe in little green men or little gray men? Or And of course, she immediately said, oh, no, no, I don't. Um, because, again, they're making it sound like you must be absolutely insane to believe in any of this. But, uh, yeah, and again, folks, like I've said over and over on the program, 96 to 98% of the things that people see in the sky, I do think there is a rational explanation and when i say rational i mean planets uh, secret uh, craft drones uh, constellations things like that and then there's that other kind of two to four percent that i feel is truly an unidentified flying object now that doesn't mean every one of them is a flying saucer from zeta reticuli but there are tangible things there that people are seeing and experiencing and I just get tired of hearing these um, jack wagons going on and on again how you must be crazy or you must be drunk or on LSD to see these things. Not only have there been thousands of reported sightings by military and police and all kinds of what you would have to classify as reputable witnesses, there have been many thousands, I'm sure, that have gone unreported in these same realms because of them not wanting to be made fun of. Then you've got the average person like you and I, and there are hundreds of thousands of cases of people seeing these things. So all I'm saying, folks, is it can't all be mass delusions and LSD and, yeah, the planet Venus, whatever you want to say. Now, what it is, again, as always, we keep an open mind here at the Paranormal Sun. I don't have the answers. I honestly don't. I have my opinions, but everyone's got their opinions. So later on in the program, we're going to be getting into those UFO 
articles that have been coming out this week. And thank you, Dave. Uh, Dave, the chapter president in Missouri. Dave from the old 77 podcast. Thanks for keeping me abreast while I was out ill. So yeah, folks, uh, I was pretty ill for about two weeks. Um, I am feeling quite a bit better now, starting to get my energy levels back. So I do plan to have a standard episode ready for you next Wednesday. And that's going to be a very good episode, I think, as well. I think it's something that most of you wouldn't have heard of. It's something that you have to be pretty far down the UFO slash extraterrestrial rabbit hole to have heard of. Now, that being said, of course, I've, I heard about this many years ago, but it's a fascinating story, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Now, I do want to give a shout out to anyone who has come here and found the Paranormal Sun thanks to my interview of Al from Forum Borealis. What I said was 100% true. Uh, I really enjoyed my conversation with Al. We also had some, we had some uh, conversation off the air, so to speak, before we recorded. And Al gave me a lot of advice and a lot of support, and it really does mean a lot to me. Al hosts an excellent show. And again, if you're wondering what that show is, it's just called Forum Borealis. So F-O-R-U-M. Borealis, B-O-R-E-A-L-I-S, and you can just search the internet, and you can find many of the episodes on YouTube, which is where I initially found it in 2015, 2016, and yeah, it's just an astounding show. Some of the people that Al has on there, I mean, they're really movers and shakers, and I was so thankful that Al took the time to sit down and have that conversation with me. And I've had lots of really positive feedback on it. So any of you who are tuning in, at the suggestion of Al, thank you very much. Welcome aboard, and I hope that you do enjoy the program. Now, long-term listeners, of course, know this, but I just want everyone to know again, I have hundreds of topics on the back burner, so to speak, in the staging area to do for the program. So if there is something you want to hear about, or if it's something maybe I haven't heard about, you never know. There are things that listeners send to me that I have not heard about. By all means, get in touch with me. The best two ways to find me are either to go in the show notes of this episode, and you'll see a link at the top that says, follow and support the show here. And if you click there, there's a link website with everything that you could possibly want, really, from the website to the email to Instagram and Facebook. And the other best way is just to go to Instagram and look for the paranormal sun, the underscore paranormal underscore sun. And again, that same link is in the bio on the Instagram page. And again, you can find me there. You can send me an email at the paranormal sun, all one word, at gmail.com. And I'll do my very best to try and get that topic moved to at least the middle burner, you know, we'll, we'll try and move it up. I do have some things planned in advance, but generally I do try and do my best to be responsive to my audience. And again, just thank you so much for all of you. I've seen that I've had some listeners in Iceland this week, uh, Switzerland. Uh, just really, I'm getting listens from all over the world, the Czech Republic. And yeah, really, thank you so much. It really does mean the world to me. When I say that you guys are the wind in my sails, guys and gals, sorry, um, you are. I mean, you're really the ones that help 
keep me going because I know that you find value in what I do. And like I say, if you ever want to get in touch, you know how to do so. Now, outside of the program, as I've been recovering, one of the things that I've been doing, um, I've always been a bit of a sword and sorcery or high fantasy type nerd. I've always been, you know, when I was growing up, some of my favorite movies were things like Conan the Barbarian. Of course, I love the Lord of the Rings. And don't ask me why, but I've only just recently gotten around to started to delve into the Wheel of Time, which is, by word count, the largest collection of high fantasy or kind of sword and sorcery type writings uh, that there are. It's over four and a half million words. I think it's something like 14 books. And yeah, so far I'm really enjoying it. I've only made it a little way through. Uh, I'm through about the first book and maybe 20 chapters into the second one, something like that. But uh, yeah, really good stuff. And just like everything, I mean, there's things that I would change. Uh, there is a bit of repetition in the books where they're constantly reminding you who this person is or about this or that. But it's not overwhelming. And again, um, I'm good enough at doing a lot of this stuff now. I kind of tune in and out as I do it. But yeah, Wheel of Time. There is a TV series supposedly on the way, I believe, from Amazon that they've been working on for a few years now. But obviously, the pandemic has put breaks to a lot of programs that have been out there. So I haven't really been watching a whole lot of TV, but I have been listening to those uh, audiobooks while I play PlayStation 4 mainly uh, in my free time and when I felt good enough to do it. So yeah, outside of that, uh, like I say, it was interesting to see here the other night. And when I say the other night, I want to say Monday night, but maybe it was last week on, the, on our 6 o'clock news here. Sure enough, they were talking about this UFO disclosure that's going to come from Washington and everything else. And as so often the case here in my country, they basically just did their little frame intro of 15 to 20 seconds. And then they had a clip from one of the U.S. stations. And I want to see CBS. But anyway, I'm not going to get too much into that because I'm going to sum up for you my feelings on what's going on at the very end of this episode because I've got several articles that I'm going to read about the UFO stuff that's going on, and then I'm just going to give you my feelings on it and uh, my opinion of what's going on in the background, so to speak. So for those of you who may be new to the program, each week I generally do a news segment, and I will cover strange and odd news. Now, that segment is called the News of the Damned, which is an homage to Charles Fort. Charles Fort was an early 1900s author and researcher who gathered a lot of these things like lights in the sky, ghost ships, sea serpents. He gathered thousands and thousands of index cards of these and then later wrote five books where he published a lot of this information from periodicals and newspapers and magazines from all over the world at the time. Well, Charles Fort referred to any information, any data that was excluded by science or ignored as damned data, and that's why we call it the news of the damned. Now, on a traditional episode, there are times we don't do the news of the damned, and it's generally to do with brevity, like last week's episode with Al, part two. If I would have included news of the damned, we probably would have been 
trucking at about three and a half hours on the episode, so that's why I didn't include it. This particular episode is all news of the damned, so I've got several articles for you, and I hope that you do enjoy these. Now, the first one we've got here is from NewsHub, which is a New Zealand website, so newshub.co.nz. And as always, there's a link in the show notes if you would like to go and read these articles for yourself or oftentimes see the videos or the photos they may have. And this is from mid-May, so the 18th of May, but I found it very interesting, so I included it. Secret police sees vodka made from slightly radioactive Chernobyl apples. Only slightly, my friends. Vodka made from slightly radioactive apples farmed near Chernobyl has been seized by Ukrainian authorities before it could be exported to the UK. But the company behind the unique spirit, dubbed Atomic, isn't buying the government's reasons why. The apples were farmed inside the exclusion zone around the infamous nuclear reactor, which had a meltdown in the mid-1980s. Since then, farming in the 2,600-square-kilometer exclusion zone has been banned. Gee, I wonder why. That hasn't stopped some from growing crops, particularly near the edges. One farmer growing illicit apples teamed up the Chernobyl Spirit Company, a joint UK and Ukrainian outfit, to prove it's safe to start growing again. The group's first batch, 1,500 bottles, was made with apples showing slightly higher radiation levels than normal, but still below the Ukrainian guidelines for consumption. The resulting grain spirit was 96% pure and distilled with water from an aquifer about 10 kilometers south of the reactor. We're currently trying to work out exactly how many thousands of years old this water is, but it definitely wasn't anywhere near the surface in 1986, the company said, claiming the distillation process removed any unwanted radiation that might have been in the apples, leaving Atomic no more dangerous than any other bottle of spirits. The first batch was bound for the UK, but seized by the Ukrainian Secret Service, or SBU, which accused the Chernobyl Spirit Company of using forged excise stamps. This doesn't make sense since the bottles are for the UK market and are clearly labeled with valid UK excise stamps, said Professor Jim Smith of the University of Portsmouth, the company's founder. The actions of the Ukrainian law enforcement agencies are damaging the reputation of Ukraine as an open country for doing business, said the company's lawyer, Alina Shmirnova. We still believe that the truth will win. Each bottle was expected to sell for around New Zealand $70. That'd be about 100-ish US. Most of the proceeds from the sales were intended to go towards conservation and economic regeneration efforts in the region. We hope this issue can be resolved so that we can continue our work trying to help people affected by the devastating social and economic impacts Chernobyl had on the communities, said scientist and co-founder Genady Laptev who helped clean up after the 1986 disaster. The Chernobyl Spirit Company reportedly won a court battle to get the vodka back, but the SBU has appealed. So, my thoughts on that. Well, look, if it's safe, I've got no problem with it. Maybe they're thinking that this will open the door to more people doing the same thing. Or it could just be, look, I don't know everyone in the Ukraine. I don't know everyone in the Ukrainian government. But we all know that we've heard lots of claims of corruptions 
a corruption coming out of the Ukraine and out of the government. Maybe it's simply one of those things where they don't want anybody making money off of Chernobyl but them. Maybe it's one of those. Who knows? But uh, I did find it quite an interesting article, and I thought that you might enjoy it as well. So we're going to stick with the alcohol theme, and we're moving on to an article here from Ripley's Believe It or Not. And this one is titled, Space-Aged Wine Set to Sell for $1 Million. Two bottles of Petrus 2000 wine that spent over a year in space are expected to sell for $1 million at a Christie's auction. And this is from May the 21st, and as I say, it's from the Ripley's Believe It or Not website. Now, folks, if you do go over there to read it, you need to scroll down about three-quarters of the way down the page. <laughs> it just caught me out. I thought it was just that, but they've got a bit of a news rundown on this page. So it says, Two bottles of Petrus 2000 wine that spent over a year on the International Space Station are expected to sell for $1 million at Christie's Auction House. The bottles were shipped to space along with 10 others back in 2019 and spent 440 days in orbit before being grounded back to Earth. Upon their return, a group of sommeliers and scientists gathered to find out just how good out-of-this-world wine would taste. As it turns out, the space wine had developed a unique flavor profile with enhanced floral and smoky flavors. The auction winner will receive two bottles of the wine for comparison along with a decanter, glasses, and a corkscrew made from a meteorite. Proceeds from the auction will go directly towards future space missions and wine research. Cheers to that, it says. And then they've got a photo of it here. But again, this will just be for that type of person out there who's just got too much money on their hands. And if they've got too much money on their hands, folks, point in my way, I can definitely put that million dollars or two million dollars, a million dollars a bottle, whatever it is, into the running of this program, by all means, instead of on some space wine. So again, if there's any Russian oligarchs out there or Chinese multi-billionaire businessmen or uh, Saudi royal family members, anyone like that, um, Powerball winners, you've got a few mil laying around, um, you can just cut a check and send it my way um, as opposed to buying space wine. Now, the next one here, folks, is a little bit less lighthearted, especially for those who may feel intimidated by this. And this is from coasttocoastam.com, and it's from June the 2nd, and it says, Haunted Doll Terrifies Australian Town. Residents of a small town in Australia said that their community is plagued by an unsettling presence in the form of a haunted doll that brings bad luck to those who get too close to it. The eerie object, which can be seen below, so there's a photo here, obviously, which we will get to, reportedly sits on a swing located in a mangrove swamp in the tiny town of Lucinda. Among the mere 406 people living in the community, tales about the creepy doll and its unnerving powers have spread by way of whispers from residents seemingly afraid of upsetting the odd object. Parliamentarian Nick DeMetto, who represents Lucinda and several other nearby towns, indicated that everyone seems to know about the doll, but nobody really wants to talk about it. I don't blame him. Be that as it may, local legend states that anyone who comes too close to the object winds up suffering some sort of bad luck. The most frequent victims of the doll, DeMetto said, are people who are boating or fishing in the nearby waters, and it is claimed that even saying hello to the object can unleash its ire. This might be pure circumstance or just a modern wives' tale, DeMetto mused, but it's something I'm definitely not willing to toy with. 
Although the origins of the doll appear to be shrouded in mystery, one business owner in Lucinda claims that the little girl and her swing were created by a local couple as something of an art installation with the goal of adding some color to the community. Should that be the case, their mission has proven to be a strange success, as the town has now become infamous for being the home of a haunted doll that curses anyone who dares go near it. So yeah, very interesting, and there is a photo of it, and it just looks like kind of your standard doll. Doesn't look overly scary, it's got a straw hat on. Uh, it says, Haunted Little Girl Doll swinging on a, Sitting on a Swing in a Mangrove Swamp, said to bring bad luck to locals. So, yeah, if you are in the area and you want to go and check it out, by all means. Like I say, it doesn't look too horrifying to me. But again, it just goes to show that whether it's true or not, it's very easy for stories to spring up around things like this. And I do find it quite interesting that this has immediately become a haunted doll. It does make me wonder how long it's been there. But um, obviously, if they know the people who put it there, I'd say it hasn't been there all too long. You know, maybe a few years at most. Now, the next one we've got here, folks, will be quite interesting. And this is from Coast to Coast AM. And it says, Crate containing captured Sasquatch turns heads on highway. And this is from June the 7th. It says, A massive crate that was being transported along a highway in the Midwest over the weekend likely left many motorists scratching their heads due to its strange labeling, which warned drivers that the odd box contained a captured Sasquatch. According to a local media report, the weird cargo was actually a massive and remarkably lifelike Bigfoot statue that was created by the special effects company Unit 79 Studios in Ohio. The piece, commissioned by the Sasquatch Outpost Museum in Colorado, was being brought home to the site in a specifically designed seven-foot-tall crate being towed by a pickup truck. As one might imagine, the strange delivery had many drivers wondering what they were seeing as the crate sported sizable words of warning about the captured Sasquatch contained inside the box. People are so curious, laughed Sherry Peterson, who was responsible for bringing the faux Bigfoot to the museum. At one restaurant, the server said she's been serving for 10 years and hoped to have a super interesting day one day. She said meeting us was it. Fortunately, they managed to make it back to the Sasquatch outpost before any daring witnesses attempted to free the famed cryptid from the confines of the crate. So, uh, yeah, they should have swung by your place, Bob, in uh, Oklahoma. I know how much of a fan of Bigfoot you are. I'm just going to check out this little video here because it's only 30 seconds. I'm just curious to see what it has to say Has to say here. And, yeah, it was a little 30-second uh, news segment clip. And it was, uh, yeah, very visible. that It said all over it, captured Sasquatch, etc., but the uh, the statues were very lifelike. Um, they've got, like, looks to be a large adult male and a juvenile. So, yeah, interesting enough and worth going over there and checking out if you'd like to see what all the fuss was about. Now, here's our next article for the News of the Damned. And this one is titled, Enormous New Dinosaur Species Unearthed in Australia. Now, this is also from Coast to Coast, and this just came out yesterday. Scientists have confirmed the discovery of an enormous new species of dinosaur that was unearthed in Australia and is believed to have been as long as a basketball court. The massive creature, dubbed Australotitan cooperanthus, or Cooper for short, now um, my Latin isn't as up to it as some of you, but Australo, Australiotitan 
would be that it's Southern Titan and Cooperanthus. Um, I think that's the area that it was discovered in. It reportedly measured approximately 21 feet tall and was a staggering 98 feet long. Of the Titanosaurus family, the newfound species boosted, boasted a long neck and an appearance similar to iconic dinosaurs like the Brachiosaurus. Amazingly, the Australiotitan is among the 10 to 15 largest dinosaurs ever discovered and the biggest such creature ever to be found in Australia. First discovered in 2007, study of the creature was somewhat hampered by virtue of just how large its bones had been. However, researchers at the Iromanga Natural History Museum and the Queensland Museum were able to use modern-day 3D scans of the dinosaur's fossilized remains in order to eventually determine, as detailed in a paper published this week, that it was a unique new species. Based on the age of the bones, it is believed that the Australiotitan roamed the land down under around 96 million years ago and likely weighed a staggering 160,000 pounds. Confirmation of the Australiotitan represents something of a crescendo for dinosaur research in Australia, observed Dr. Jim Thompson of the Queensland Museum, explaining that in the early 2000s, Australia was at the beginning of a dinosaur rush with a number of significant new species of dinosaurs and megafauna being discovered in the past 20 years. He went on to observe that Australia is one of the last frontiers for dinosaur discovery and suggested that additional new finds may be on the horizon. Some such species may have already been unearthed, Robin McKenzie of the Ergomana Natural History Museum indicated, musing that we have many more discoveries awaiting full scientific study. And that is indeed a fact, not only dinosaurs, but all sorts of things. There are hundreds of thousands and millions of artifacts all over the world that have been dug up and not properly cataloged or classified yet. So we shall see if we get any more details out of Australia about any new species. But always fascinating when we discover a new species that was 98 feet long, which is like 30 meters long in metric parlay. It's pretty pretty darn big, and I get that it would have been underground, but it's pretty big uh, that we only just um, confirmed that this existed and existed in Australia. So folks, here on the Paranormal Sun, I try not to freak you out too much or have things that are too scary, but this next one is definitely straight out of a horror movie or a sci-fi movie. And it says, Arctic creature revived after being frozen for 24,000 years. Akin to the opening scene of a sci-fi film, wherein things subsequently go horribly wrong, scientists have managed to revive an ancient multicellular creature that had been frozen in the Arctic ice for the last 24,000 years. According to a press release, researchers at a lab in Russia successfully thawed out the bitiloid rotifer, which is a tiny organism renowned for its ability to survive in extreme conditions, from a chunk of permafrost that was retrieved from a remote Siberian location using a drilling rig. Incredibly, upon being unfrozen, the creature was then able to reproduce by way of an asexual process known as parthenogenesis. The takeaway is that a multicellular organism can be frozen and stored as such for thousands of years and then return back to life, declares Stas Malavin of the Puccino Scientific Center for Biological Research. Observing that this scenario is a dream of many fiction writers, he cautioned that the more complex the organism, the trickier it is to preserve it alive frozen, and for mammals, it's not currently possible. 
That said, he also acknowledged that the rotifer research is a big step forward as it constitutes moving from a single-celled organism to an organism with a gut and a brain. While the scientists may have established that the microscopic creatures can survive being frozen for thousands of years, the more mysterious matter which remains unanswered is how this is possible. To that end, they intend to continue their research on rotifers in the hopes of determining what it is about the healthy creature, sorry, hardy creature, that allows it to protect its cells and organs from being damaged when subjected to such extreme temperatures for long periods of time. Ultimately, the goal is to take the lessons learned from the tiny animals and, if possible, apply them to much larger organisms, specifically humans. Okay, folks. So, first off, it's not as bad as I thought because this could naturally occur, okay? You could have these frozen creatures that thaw naturally. They didn't, you know, jump start it, so to speak, or anything like that. It just basically thawed out and went straight to work uh, dividing itself. But, yeah, it does make you wonder what else may have already been discovered by various groups, whether it's governmental or non-governmental groups or militaries, in different places in the world that may already have been um, uh, revived or resurrected. Um, there are lots of things out there, folks, that I don't think that they're going to run around and tell us, you see. So, again, everyone's different. And we've all got our own opinions, but I would say that the odds of there being much greater things than these little multicellular organisms that have already been discovered and manipulated, uh, resurrected, revived, and used for study and or potentially already being used for um, scientific research and other uses, I wouldn't be shocked uh, at all, if that's already happened, like I say. And me personally, again, just JT's personal opinion, I would put the odds of that at at the worst at 50-50. So I'm sure that there's already things going on that we're not going to be told about, of course, because why would they tell us little peons, you know? We just need to pay our taxes and do as we're told. Um, very interesting, though, that any of this um, kind of gets leaked out from time to time. But we shall see, and let's hope that we don't end up getting wet with some virus or something like that that's been frozen for hundreds of thousands of years and uh, then gets released upon us. We shall live in hope and be positive about it, okay? Next one here, folks, is quite interesting to me, and the reason why I say that is I've lived here in this country since 2004, and I'd never heard this. So this is from News Hub, which is also a New Zealand site. And it says, Parliament Paranormal. News Hub investigates rumors of ghosts in the beehive. So for those of you overseas, the beehive is our colloquial name for our parliament building. And if you're in the U.S., just think of it being in Congress or in Senate um, about there being hauntings there. So, yeah, very interesting story. And it says, ghosts and paranormal activity aren't typically associated with the rough and tumble politics in Parliament. But there whispers its 163-year-old library is the home to the ghost of former Dedean MP William Larnock. Doors closing, lights flickering. There really could be anything around, says research librarian Lily Phillips. Glenn Hardingham has worked in the library for 15 years and believes there are definitely ghosts, but I've never seen them. One of those alleged ghosts is rumored to be of, of former Larnock, who entered Parliament in 1875. 
It's thought he fell into financial trouble and relationship trouble with his third wife, Constance. There was a rumor Constance was having an affair with Larnick's son, and that has become the law of Larnick's suicide here in Parliament, Phillips said. Was it because of his financial troubles or because he found out about the affair? No one really seems to know. It's a mystery whether Larnick's ghost does haunt the old library, but if he does, he's not the only one. Security guards have told me about a demented woman in 19th century finery hovering down the staircase, Hardingham explained. I've heard tales of a cleaner cleaning one really cold night in a bathroom, looking up in the mirror, and she sees a ghostly visage of herself rotting away like a corpse with red hair. The cleaner screamed, ran from the building, and was never seen again. But today's real-life MPs aren't so sure. Tourism Minister Stuart Nash says he's seen lots out of the ordinary, but never a ghost. While Agriculture Minister Damien O'Connor admits, It hasn't come visiting me. Perhaps I haven't read enough books. National Simeon Brown says he wants to go find and catch the ghost, while Defense Minister Pini Hinari says, Nah, sorry bro, it's random too. So yeah, interesting enough, folks, and they seem to have been having a good chuckle about it. But um, I do find it interesting, and it was on the news here. I missed it. It must have been one of the nights I didn't watch the news because it's kind of hit or miss for me. But yeah, interesting none the least that our New Zealand Parliament, at least the library, is purportedly haunted. Well now, folks, here you are. Here is the real meat and potatoes of what this episode's all about. We're going to get into the talk and the scuttlebutt going around about this upcoming report that's supposed to be released to the Pentagon about the UFOs and about UFO disclosure in general. So I've got three articles here. I tried to get a good mix, and I'm going to read those three articles, and I'm going to do my best to save my commentary until the end as best as I can. But I tried to get a pretty wide um, canvassing, so what I'm saying is I tried not to just take things that are one side of the debate or the other. I tried to get a good mix here. And the first one here is from the New York Times. And thanks, Dave, for sending me this link. So uh, again, Dave, our chapter president in Missouri. And this first one is titled, U.S. Finds No Evidence of Alien Technology and Flying Objects, But Can't Rule It Out Either. A new report concedes that much about the observed phenomena remains difficult to explain, including their acceleration, as well as ability to change direction and submerge. Washington. American intelligence officials have found no evidence that aerial phenomena witnessed by Navy pilots in recent years are alien spacecraft, but they still cannot explain the unusual movements that have mystified scientists and the military, according to senior administration officials briefed on the findings of a highly anticipated government report. The report determines that a vast majority of more than 120 incidents over the past two decades did not originate from any American military or other advanced U.S. government technology. I'm biting my tongue. The officials said, That determination would appear to eliminate the possibility that Navy pilots who reported seeing unexplained aircraft might have encountered programs the government meant to keep secret. But that is about the only conclusive finding in the classified intelligence report, the officials said, and while a forthcoming unclassified version, expected to be released to Congress by June 25th, will present few other firm conclusions, senior officials briefed on the intelligence conceded that the very ambiguity of the findings meant the government could not definitively rule out theories that the phenomena observed by military pilots might be alien spacecraft. 
Americans' long-running fascination with UFOs has intensified in recent weeks in anticipation of the release of the government report. Former President Barack Obama further stoked the interest when he was asked last month about the incidents on The Late Late Show with James Corden on CBS. And yeah, I'm not going to rehash exactly what he said. I've said it before. Um, yeah, didn't, yeah, didn't take it very seriously. The report concedes that much about the observed phenomena remains difficult to explain, including their acceleration, as well as the ability to change direction and submerge. One possible explanation, that the phenomena could be weather balloons, oh yeah, weather balloons, yeah, definitely, or other research balloons, does not hold up in all cases. Well, duh, the officials said, because of changes in wind speed at the times of some of the interactions. The final report will also include a classified annex, the officials said, while the annex will not contain any evidence concluding that the phenomena are alien spacecraft, the officials acknowledged that the fact that it would remain off-limits to the public was likely to continue to fuel speculation that the government had secret data about alien visitations to Earth. Many of the more than 120 incidents examined in the report are from Navy personnel, officials said. The report also examined incidents involving foreign militaries over the last two decades. Intelligence officials believe at least some of the aerial phenomena could have been experimental technology from a rival power, most likely Russia or China. One senior official briefed on the intelligence said without hesitation that U.S. officials knew it was not American technology. He said there was worry among intelligence and military officials that China or Russia could be experimenting with hypersonic technology. He and other officials spoke on the condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to speak publicly about the classified findings in the report. Russia has been investing heavily in hypersonics, believing the technology offers it the ability to evade American missile defense technology. China has also developed hypersonic weaponry and included it in military parades. If the phenomena were Chinese or Russian aircraft, officials say, that would suggest the two powers' hypersonic research has far outpaced American military development. And I smell BS there, but anyway, again, I'll try and hold my tongue. Navy pilots were often unsettled by the sightings. In one encounter, strange objects, one of them like a spinning top moving against the wind, appeared almost daily from the summer of 2014 to March 2015, high in the skies over the East Coast. Navy pilots reported to their superiors that the objects had no visible engine or infrared exhaust plumes, but that they, they could reach 30,000 feet and hypersonic speeds. Lieutenant Ryan Graves, an F-A-18 Super Hornet pilot who was with the Navy for 10 years, told the New York Times in an interview, These things would be out there all day, with the speeds he and other pilots observed, he said. 12 hours in the air is 11 hours longer than we'd expect. In late 2014, a Super Hornet pilot had a near collision with one of the objects, and an official mishap report was filed. Some of the incidents were recorded on video, including one taken by a plane's camera in early 2015 that shows an object zooming over the ocean waves as pilots question what they are watching. The Defense Department has been collecting such reports for more than 13 years as part of a shadowy, little-known Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or ATIP, within the Pentagon. The program analyzed radar data, video footage, and accounts provided by the Navy pilots and senior officials. The program began in 2007 and was largely funded at the request of Harry Reid, the Nevada Democrat who was the Senate Majority Leader at the time. It was officially shut down in 2012 when the money dried up, according to the Pentagon. But Luis Elizondo, 
who ran the program at the time, said that he continued it until 2017. After the publication of a New York Times article later that year about the program and criticism from program officials that the government was not forthcoming about reports on aerial phenomena, the Pentagon restarted the program last summer as the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. The task force mission was to detect, analyze, and catalog sightings of strange objects in the sky that could pose a threat to national security. But government officials said they also wanted to remove the stigma for service members who report UFO sightings in the hope that more would be encouraged to speak up if they saw something. The goal, officials said, was to give authorities a better idea of what might be out there. Last year, lawmakers inserted a provision in the Intelligence Authorization Act that said the government must submit an unclassified report on what it knows about UFOs. That report is the one to be released this month. Officials briefed on the report said it also examined video that shows a whitish oval object described as a giant tic-tac about the size of a commercial plane encountered by two Navy fighter jets off the coast of San Diego in 2004. In that incident, the pilots reported an interaction with the craft, which lasted for several minutes. At one point, the object peeled away. One of the pilots, Commander David Fravor, later said in an interview with the Times, it accelerated like nothing I've ever seen. The report studies that incident, including the video that accompanied the interaction. The provenance of the object, the officials said, is still unknown. So that's a pretty in-depth article, and thanks, Dave, for sending that to me. Um, I'm going to hold my comments until I read these other two for you, and then I'm just going to give you a general summation of all three articles. It'll just be a little easier that way, folks, instead of me delving into it as we go through each one. So now here's the Coast to Coast AM article. And this one simply says, Pentagon report said to be inconclusive regarding nature and origin of UFOs. And this is from the 4th of June. Those hoping for answers to the UFO mystery in the forthcoming and highly anticipated Pentagon report on unidentified aerial phenomena will undoubtedly be disappointed as the study is said to be largely inconclusive regarding the nature and origins of these puzzling objects, although it will not be released to the public until some time later this month. A blockbuster New York Times piece published late Thursday evening provided a glimpse into the report's contents by way of a senior administration official briefed on the findings. So I would say that's the article I just read. Said to have examined more than 120 UAP cases from the last 20 years, as well as foreign military encounters with unidentified objects, the study apparently fails to answer the all-important question of what these UFOs are. Specifically, the report indicates that the government found no evidence that UFOs are alien spacecraft, while also ruling out the possibility that they are secret technology developed by the United States military, though whether or not the Pentagon would reveal such a thing is up for debate. Hey, I'm glad someone is thinking down these same sight lines as me. Another often cited sub- subject, weather balloons, was dismissed in many cases due to the manner in which the objects behaved. Yet, weather balloons, um, I'm surprised Venus didn't get pulled into this. One troubling scenario raised by the report is that UAPs are a display of some kind of hypersonic technology harnessed by Russia or China. Ultimately, however, the study offers no definitive conclusion and indicates what the Pentagon simply cannot explain some of the more fantastic cases in which objects accelerate at tremendous speeds, perform hard-to-fathom maneuvers, and submerge into water. USOs. 
The Times reporting was subsequently confirmed by CNN. Hey, I'm glad it's been confirmed by CNN. I feel so much better now. Who quoted a congressional aide as saying, most people would be hoping for visual evidence of little green men. See, again, here we go. Little green men. Ha ha, snicker, snicker, laugh, laugh, idiots. Which is almost certainly not going to be the case. To that end, UFO enthusiasts can take some solace in the fact that the in, in, inconclusive nature of the study at least leaves open the possibility that perhaps some of these cases are extraterrestrial in nature. Especially since one is left to wonder, short of the recovery of an actual ET or one of the vehicles, what the government would consider evidence for these objects being alien spacecraft. That said, it would sadly appear that the report will not be the disclosure moment long yearned for the UF by the UFO research community and that the same questions that have perplexed investigators for decades will continue to go unanswered. Well, uh, we'll get there at the end, folks, but um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't want to say anything just yet, but... Um, yeah, somebody said this to you at the very beginning, didn't he? Perhaps the most intriguing question arising from what from what are said to be the report's findings is what might happen next, as it does not appear that the study offered any recommendations for subsequent steps of inquiry from the U.S. government. Given that these objects cannot be identified, it stands to reason that further investigation would be warranted, especially since they could be exotic technology developed by adversarial nations. Additionally, some have suggested that the report could lead to congressional hearings regarding the phenomena, though it is doubtful that such an exercise would be fruitful as far as findings, finding out answers regarding the phenomena, since it would presumably be more political theater rather than an earnest inquiry, and I agree. And so, as is so often the case with the UFO phenomena, the answer to the mystery remains maddeningly out of reach. Well, folks, um, I'm chomping at the bit, but I'm going to try and hold on for this last article, and then I'll give you my thoughts. So here we are, folks. Here's the last article for the News of the Dam tonight, and the last of our three UFO articles. Now, this one is from the Scientific American, and that's why I went and got it from there, because I wanted to get something that was a bit more scientific, hopefully, and maybe a little less politicized, but we'll see what it has to say. Because I must admit that the headline title has already got me nervous. Experts weigh in on Pentagon UFO report. So again, um, I don't know what experts they're talking about, uh, but we'll find out because we're going to do this together. The vast majority of examined incidents were not caused by U.S. advanced technology programs, the forthcoming report concludes. So what's going on? And this is by Leonard David on June the 8th. For more than a decade, the U.S. Department of Defense has quietly been cataloging and investigating scores of bizarre encounters, most from the U.S. Navy, of ships and fighter jets tangling with or being tailgated by unidentified flying objects. Beginning in 2017, videos and eyewitness account of these weird sightings found their way into public view, ultimately spurring Congress to demand that the Pentagon produce a report summarized summarizing all that the U.S. government knows about so-called unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAPs, an alternative term with considerably less stigma than the much-maligned UFOs. Well, yeah, where did that stigma come from? The U.S. government, the CIA, the FBI, the Air Force, making fun of anyone who said UFOs. Produced under the auspices of a Pentagon group called the UAP Task Force, an unclassified version of the report is expected to be released 
later this month. Upon establishing the task force, the DOD released an accompanying statement explaining the justifications for its existence. The safety of our personnel and the security of our operations are a paramount concern. The Department of Defense and the military departments take any incursions by unauthorized aircraft into our training ranges or designated airspace very seriously and examine each report. This includes examinations of incursions that are initially reported as UAP when the observer cannot immediately identify what he or she is observing. Yeah, you take it very seriously. So all the cases of people seeing UFOs by the tens and dozens and hundreds, the overflights of Washington, D.C., the Phoenix Lights, yeah, you take it all very seriously. You may be behind the scenes, but you're not taking it seriously publicly. Assessing the Alien Hypothesis Meanwhile, all this strangeness has garnered considerable media attention, and I'll give them that. From front-page stories in the New York Times to 13,000-word articles in The New Yorker, as well as prominent coverage on 60 Minutes and other primetime television programs. Through it all, a sizable contingent of true believers have steadily proclaimed, We told you so. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, uh, yes we have. Insistent in their conviction that, whether called UFOs or UAPs, the entities seemingly slipping through our skies are actual alien spacecraft. We're not saying that, okay? Now, I can't speak for everyone in the UFO community, but it doesn't have to be aliens, and I'll get to that at the end, and have been visiting Earth for a very long time. Those deeply entrenched public beliefs, paired with the apparent reinvigoration of investigative interest in these incidents at the highest levels of government, can lead to dazzling speculations. Might we be on the verge of a formal disclosure, backed by irrefutable evidence that mankind is not alone and is indeed being monitored by extraterrestrial civilizations? Or could it be that UAPs are entirely homegrown products of revolutionary and clandestine technological advances, whether by other countries now challenging American airspace or by the U.S. itself as part of some super-secret domestic program meant to detect flaws in the nation's defenses? The mind boggles. I'm glad your mind's boggling, because it should be. Although the task force's unclassified assessment is not expected until June 25th, the New York Times provided a cursory preview of its contents in an article on June the 3rd, citing anonymous senior officials familiar with the report's contents. The story said that the assessment has come up short of explaining what UAPs are and that it provides no evidence to link them with any punitive alien visitation. Again, I'll get to that. Despite reviewing more than 120 incidents from the past 20 years, the report's firmest conclusions, it seems, is that the vast majority of UAP happenings and their surprising maneuvers are not caused by any U.S. advanced technology programs. And again, I'll get to that. Lastly, according to the New York Times article, the final report includes a classified annex of information deemed unsuitable for public release. Yes, we are not we are not worthy. We are not suitable to get these things released to us, even though we are well, you in America are paying the bill for this massive juggernaut of a military industrial complex that sucks up more and more of your tax dollars every year. More than half of your GDP is going to the military. Sorry, strike that. More than half of your tax dollars are going to the military. Half of all government spending. 
but you don't need to know about it, okay? Just pay the bill. Just shut up, all right? Just, just pay the bill like good little vermin and do as you're told, leaving more than enough room for diehard UFO advocates to remain convinced that the U.S. government is hiding the truth. No big reveal. Andrew Fracknoy, sorry, an astronomer at the Fromm Institute for Lifelong Learning at the University of San Francisco, echoes the widely held sentiment among scientists that, for decades, the media has lavished too much attention on sensational claims that vague lights in the sky are actually extraterrestrial spacecraft. Recently, there's been a flurry of misleading publicity about UFOs based on military reports. A sober examination of these claims reveals there is a lot less to them than first meets the eye. Okay, Fracknoy. Um, again, I'll bite my tongue. Given sufficient evidence, which arguably many of the recent reports fail to provide, UFO sightings can essentially always be tied to the terrestrial or celestial phenomena, such as lights from human-made vehicles and re-entering space junk, he adds. Again, I'm glad you have every freaking answer in the universe. There is not going to be any big reveal, says Robert Schaefer, a leading skeptical investigator of UFOs. There are no aliens here on Earth. Again, hey, I'm glad you know everything, Robert Schaefer. And so the government cannot disclose what it does not have. Some people think that the government knows more about UFOs or UIPs than the public. But it's clear that they know less on the subject than our best civilian UFO investigators, not more. Uh, yeah. The DOD employs some very competent photographic analysis and other technical experts, none of whom obviously were consulted in this comedy of errors. Yep, just keep... Yeah, you skeptics, man. Just keep laughing it off, okay? The Pentagon has already suffered through embarrassment from the apparent incompetence of its UAP task force. He says it's time to rein in such rampant foolishness in your mind, Jack, Jack Wagon and ensure that proper experts will shape the task force conclusions. Okay, going to skip over some of this, folks, because as you can tell, I'm just getting a little bit heated. Skeptical science writer Mike West, Mick West, sorry, has taken on the chore of analyzing the state of UAP videos released by the U.S. military, steadfastly investigating how some of the incidents could merely be mirages from flaws in newly developed radar systems, as well as various sorts of well-understood visual artifacts regularly seen in cameras. Despite his work to debunk the recent claims, West maintains that reports of mysterious aircraft stalking military assets should be taken quite seriously. Jeez, someone with common sense, even though he's saying it's bunk, he's saying it should be taken seriously. Hey, I tip my cap to you, Mr. West, because we should be taking it seriously. Firstly, there's a set of very real issues that could be grouped together as UAPs or UFOs, West says. Anytime something unidentified shows up in restricted airspace, then it's a real problem that needs solving. Again, common sense. Common freaking sense. There have been so many reports of drones above or near restricted areas, he notes. We know that drones have been used for terrorist attacks, and drones will very much be a significant factor in future conflicts. Yep, fully agree. Another real issue is that pilots sometimes see things they cannot readily identify and they may misidentify such objects. Regardless of what such pilots actually observe, this is a problem. If something there is hard to identify, like a novel drone, then we need to figure out how to identify it, he says. If the pilots are making mistakes, then we need to figure out why. Yeah, I, I, I agree. From a defense standpoint, as myself 
And many others have said, fully on board with that. The Disclosure Feedback Loop The advocates of alien disclosure are encroaching on these real issues of UAPs, West said. These believers take montane videos of incidents that are simply unidentified, he says, then reframe them as evidence of extraordinary technology, which of course is intended to mean aliens, even if enthusiasts for that hypothesis will not explicitly say so. This cultivates credulous media attention, which in turn creates a feedback loop of public interest, more media, and then pressure on politicians to do something. All the while, the military makes no comments because that's their modus operandi. Military things are assumed classified by default, and there's nothing compelling them to clear things up, West says. In the end, he hopes that the forthcoming report represents the views of serious people finally stepping in to clear up what is and is not going on. I expect much discussion and information about the real issues of unidentified flying objects, but I do not anticipate it will have much that will please the UFO enthusiasts. Hey, I've, I've, I'm on board with that, okay? Wait and see. One person who is taking a wait and see attitude about the upcoming report is Ravi Kumar Koporapu, a research scientist in planetary studies at NASA's Goddard Flight Center. The history of scientific studies of UAPs in the U.S. is not limited to the recently released UFO video snippets. Sorry, just video snippets. Which is a good reminder to avoid painting the whole phenomenon with one broad brush, he says. Additionally, this is not a U.S.-specific issue. Indeed, it's worldwide. Nor is it limited to observations by U.S. armed forces. Correct. There may not be a single explanation to all such observations. What I would suggest is that we do not lead to any conclusions when the findings of the reports are made public. The report would be immensely helpful if the data that informed it are made publicly available so that more experts and scientists can look at it and hopefully reach a scientific consensus on the nature of some of these unexplained events. Otherwise, there will always be conspiracy theories shrouding and inhibiting a proper scientific investigation of UAPs. A similar view is held by Mark Rodiger, scientific director of the Center of UFO Studies, who says openness should be prioritized as much as possible in future investigations. We don't know whether the UFO problem is an intelligence one due to foreign adversaries, but we do know from its long history that it is absolutely a scientific problem that deserves serious attention. He says in a sub it is a subject that has long been too ignored, downplayed, and ridiculed. The government and scientific community should study UFOs openly and, importantly, with an open mind. Wanted Scientific Inquiry Harvard University astrophysicist Avi Loeb says the significance of the UAP task force report will depend on the evidence it discloses, which at the moment remains mostly unknown. But this focus on past reports is misguided, he says. It would be prudent to progress forward with our finest instruments rather than examine past reports. Instead of focusing on documents that reflect decades-old technologies used by witnesses with no scientific expertise, it would be far better to deploy state-of-the-art recording devices, such as cameras or audio sensors, at the sites where the reports came from, and search for unusual signals. Loeb goes a step further, saying he is willing to sign up to help unravel the UAP UFO saga. Personally, I will be glad to lend scientific, sorry, lead scientific inquiry into the nature of these reports and advise Congress accordingly, he says. This could take the form of a federally designated committee or a privately funded expedition. 
Its most important purpose would be to inject scientific rigor and credibility into the discussion. History is repeating itself there, and again, I'll get to that in my summaries. History repeats itself, and it says it the line underneath. I didn't just saw that. So, For some seasoned investigators, such as William Hartman, a senior scientist emeritus at the Planetary Science Institute, headquartered in Tucson, Arizona, the current dust-up over an influential government report on UFOs is a reminder that, eventually, everything old becomes new again. Correct. Hartman was a photography consultant and co-author of the University of Colorado UFOs Project Report, Scientific Study of Unidentified Flying Objects, funded by the U.S. Air Force from 1966 to 1968. That investigative effort was led by physicist Edward Condon, and it had dismal effects on subsequent scientific investigations. The extensive study of UFOs, Condon and his co-authors concluded, is simply not a fruitful field in which to seek major discoveries, and probably cannot be justified in the expectation that science will be advanced thereby. Reflecting on his work for the project, also called the Condon Committee, Hartman said that none of the photographic evidence he examined could establish anything extraordinary about the observed phenomena. We proved that some of the cases, including classic photos still being trotted out, were fake, he said. That fact alone makes it extremely difficult to apply straight scientific techniques, because we know some, not necessarily all of the data we were given, were carefully prepared to delude us. That is not quite like astronomy, where we can assume that the photons coming through our telescope atop Manukea in Hawaii are not put in there by a hoaxer. And look, that's a fair point. To put it another way, if you think there could be a real alien spaceship among a pile of photos you are given, but you know that some of the photos are fakes, then it is very hard to prove that any single one of them is proof of an alien visitation, Hartman says. I'd want to see multiple clear photos or detections by witnesses who don't know each other from multiple cities viewing from multiple directions before getting very excited. Still, he adds that ever since his experience working on the Condon Committee, he cannot escape the feeling that there may be electromagnetic phenomena in the atmosphere we still don't understand. The truth is out there. Sarah Scholes is author of the recently published book, They Are Already Here, UFO Culture and Why We See Saucers. Although the report's full details remain to be seen, she senses it will not be as relevatory as some hope. At various times during the 20th century, the military has undertaken studies of UFOs to determine largely whether what people are seeing represents a national security threat. This report doesn't, then, seem seminal because it's doing a 21st century version of that same thing. That said, Scholes feels an unbiased analysis of available data could shed light on the true frequency of UAP observations, and perhaps on the characteristics and possible identities of these sightings. One problem with UFO UAP research is that it often doesn't resemble traditional scientific research in terms of rigor, she says. The task force report could quantify and analyze a wide swath of data schools hopes with the requisite background knowledge of senior of sorry of sensor capabilities, current domestic and foreign military capabilities, and so on. If so, that would be a welcome change from previous high-profile studies, she concludes. Where does this leave us? The truth, of course, is somewhere out there, whether or not it appeared in the pages of the UAP task force report. But for now, the odds seem to be against the U.S. government knowing what it is, let alone revealing it any time soon. And look, that's not a bad article. I actually enjoyed that, and um, I found it fairly unbiased, considering it's from the Scientific American, which 
you would think would have a pretty slanted view to saying this is all bunk. So that's pretty good, I think, personally. Now, I'm going to tell you what I really think about this whole situation. So, okay, folks. At the very beginning of all of this going on, I told you I thought that when we got to June, very little, if anything, would be disclosed. And I had a very seminal thought pattern behind that, which is that I do believe that almost all of the, let's say, good stuff, if the government and other entities does have good stuff, it's not sitting in the Air Force archives or in the Pentagon. It's been sent out to private entities, not even necessarily companies or corporations, but maybe actual individuals, because you can't FOIA request an individual. If you gave this kind of stuff to people that you trusted, that you'd worked with, um, well, good luck trying to get that information out of them. I do laugh when I hear things like, oh, well, the U.S. government doesn't know anything. Well, how do you know that? And even if they do have that information, the U.S. government and the militaries have lied to us so many times over the years. Who's to say they're not lying again? If they say, oh, well, there's nothing there, there's nothing to it, we investigated and it was weather balloons and the planet Venus and electromagnetic static or whatever else the soup of the day is that they want to blame it on. Now, I do find it extremely fascinating that here we are playing this game of, oh, well, we think it could be Chinese and Russian drones or aircraft. Yeah, right. Number one, what aircraft is sitting there like, that lieutenant said for 12 or 14 or 18 hours making these extreme maneuvers there's no way where's the aircraft carrier for it to be on now i'm not saying that that type of technology cannot exist somewhere what i'm saying is i have an extremely hard time believing that anyone outside of the u.s military or u.s black budget groups would have that could it be a false flag and what i mean by that is could it be the black projects using this to scare people into thinking that it's Russian or Chinese technology to get bigger budgets? Yes, of course it could be. Could it be a breakaway civilization? Yes, it could be. Could it be extraterrestrials? Yes, it could be. I heard during the news segment here them saying, oh, well, they don't think they're coming from outer space. Well, first off, genius, okay, that is kind of like saying during World War II when the U.S. nuked, dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that would be like the Japanese saying, well, it couldn't be the Americans because they didn't come from Pearl Harbor. They didn't come from America. Well, guess what? They used an interim base. And guess what aliens could be doing from outer space? They may have been here for thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of years. There are all kinds of places on this planet you could hide if your technology is good enough. Under the water, maybe? Gee, USOs? Things moving at two or three hundred knots underwater that none of our stuff can keep up with? Hmm. What if these entities or vehicles are interdimensional? What if they're coming and going through gates? So they don't need to be here. They don't need a base here. And you can't track them because they're basically invisible. They've gone back to their dimension. What if they're time travelers? There's all kinds of things that are potential here. Am I saying that I know for a fact it's any or all of these? No. 
But what I'm saying is it is extremely short-sighted and moronic to say, oh, no, well, it's not extraterrestrial, so it can't be anything else. First off, we don't know that. We don't know that it's not extraterrestrial. And second, even if it's not extraterrestrial, like I say, it does not mean that there are not other potential explanations for these things other than humans, other than the Chinese, other than the Russians. Again, I mean, we just keep going around in this circle. We had Project Blue Book. We had the Conan Committee. We had all these other things basically telling everyone, oh, don't don't worry. There's nothing to see here. It's swamp gas, and it's the planet Venus and weather balloons, and, and don't worry, there's nothing. And it's continued happening, people continuing to see it by the hundreds of thousands, by the millions around the world. And again, it's not just the U.S. military. It's not just in U.S. military bases or somewhere that you would expect Russian or Chinese uh, observations to be expected. I just don't buy it. I mean, I'm not saying, look, if, if, if I was a foreign entity that wanted to spy on the U.S. military, of course, you would want to spy on the carrier groups, right? Makes sense. It's one of the biggest projections of power of the U.S. military. I don't disagree with that. If these sightings were only being seen in San Diego or off the east coast of the U.S., yeah, well, maybe you've got that argument. But they're not. They're being seen the world over. They're being seen in countries like us here, okay? Our military is a peacekeeping force. Our military doesn't have the ability to fight penguins in Antarctica, okay? And I am not knocking anyone in the defense force here. What I'm saying is we don't have the budget. We don't spend half of our income on the military like the U.S. does. I have an extremely hard time believing that Russia and China could have said technology of hypersonic flight or whatever, and the U.S. military doesn't have it. I'm sorry. It's just, I just don't see it. It would be like saying in World War II, uh, well, you know, Poland has got um, jet fighters, but Germany doesn't. It's like, it just doesn't make any sense, okay? Um, that's just my personal humble opinion. Like I say, could this be a breakaway civilization, be it a not an actual country, but a group of people that with high technology? Of course it could be, in my mind. It could be so many things. I do really believe that we're going to get down to the end of this, and if we get anything, it's going to be crumbs. We're going to get just basically given enough to go away. Like, basically, here's what we know, and it's they're doing the same thing. Oh, it's not a threat. It's observing and interacting with U.S. military equipment within sight of the U.S. coast. How is that not a threat to our national defense in the U.S.? I mean, come on. Stop with this BS. I'm so tired of it. I am so tired of hearing it's not a threat to national security. Of course it is. There were other instances in the Cold War where UFOs nearly started World War III on a few occasions. Now, I don't have it right in front of me, but the time that the UFOs went and shut down the nuclear missiles in Maelstrom in Montana, at the, at the, at the uh, missile base in Montana, it also happened in the Ukraine in the USSR. So, yeah, again, so what, was that Chinese drones in the 1970s? Come on. I mean, it's just getting a bit ridiculous to me. And again, I don't blame people for being skeptical. And, and as they say, 
extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. I get all of that. I like some of the even-minded and, and even-headed approach that some of those people that are quoted had to say. You know, like you said, if, if you're looking at a pile of frauds and you know that one is true, I'd probably want to see proof of more than one because there's so many hoaxes or frauds. Fair enough. But I mean, folks, it just keeps happening over and over and over again. So I guess we will see what happens at the end of the month. As far as I'm concerned, it's it's a no-brainer to me. There is something out there. Do I know that they are from Zeta Reticuli? No. Do I know that they're from the sixth dimension? No. Do I know that they're from the year 5362? No. Do I know that they're from the inner earth? No. But I'm sure that it's either deep black projects by the U.S. military industrial complex or it's something else. Uh, I'm sorry. I just don't see what else it could be. Yes, China is great at developing technology, but I just don't see China being that far ahead of the U.S. And uh, yeah, we, we will see. It is interesting. And unfortunately, uh, it does look like we're marching down that path of we're not going to get a whole lot or that they're going to kick the can down the road and say, well, we'll revisit this in X months or whatever. We haven't had time to gather it. But we'll stay positive, and I hope that you stay positive. I hope that you enjoy the rest of your week. And as these stories come out, folks, I will make sure that I get them out to you. I'm sorry I get a bit heated and I get a bit aggravated sometimes, but the arrogance of some people when they basically say that I know, well, who are you that you know, all right? How do you know everything? I sure as heck don't. And uh, so you're a skeptic. So that means you know everything. Well, guess what? J. Allen Hynek started out being a skeptic. So did Stanton Friedman. And uh, by the time that they died, they were convinced that we were being visited by entities from elsewhere. So, my friends, we will see. We will stay grounded. And I'll keep an eye on the news for you. Next week, uh, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to have for you, but I do plan to have a scripted show. I just haven't even gotten into writing it yet. Stay safe. If anything else breaks, I'll make sure to let you know. And take care. I'll talk to you soon.